Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Monica Chen. Monica is the Executive Director of Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, an educational nonprofit that contributes to the eradication of factory farming through a range of educational programs. FFAC explains the devastating impacts of industrial animal agriculture in schools, environmental and social justice organizations, faith and values-based communities, and government entities. Monica has been a teacher, an instructor, she's just truly amazing, and I learned so much in this episode. Here we go. Well, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate getting to chat with you. It's my pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless, which came out of this idea of me realizing, you know, I'm on this kind of journey to becoming more conscious and to learning more. But then sometimes you just realize like you're also so clueless and you're just trying to figure it out and everything in between. So I like asking people the first question, um, just where are you if today on the spectrum from conscious to clueless, where are you feeling? Where are you at? How are you doing? That is such an interesting question, Carly. I generally try to be a pretty humble person because I, even with, you know, being the executive director of Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, there's just so many impacts of factory farming, mm-hmm. related to public health, social justice, the environment, animal welfare. And I cannot pretend to be an expert on the nuances of all those different impacts. So I feel like I've done a lot of learning in my lifetime and mm-hmm. I've a lot of really intelligent people who are making these connections, but there's always so much more to learn. Totally. It sounds like you are hungry to learn, but also, like you said, very humble about the process and realizing like, yeah, I don't know it all. I don't. And I also have, you know, my very specific perspective that comes from the identities that I have and the place that I live, which is Oakland, California. (laughs) So it's a Western perspective. It's a coastal perspective, all these things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So you just said you're the executive director of Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? The organization that is actually, I was surprised when your name was shared with me that that was an organization not on my radar. So please tell us. Sure. Well, FFAC was founded in 2010 by a student at UC Berkeley who had just graduated, actually. Her name is Katie Cantrell, and she just noticed that there were a lot of people at the university, courses at the university that care about and talk about sustainability, for example, public health, but they weren't talking about food and the impacts of factory farming. So she started to give presentations at the housing units and the classes, and they were just so well received, so impactful, because again, she was making these connections to things that people already cared about. Right. There was just a lot of um, positive reception. So that's when she just started to grow this organization. It became its own nonprofit. And we now have 14 staff all around the country. Um, and we give presentations at primarily high schools and colleges. Um, we've reached 220,000 people so far. And we also give presentations to corporate groups. We try and do lunch and learns. We try and just make sure that there is a lot of awareness of the impacts of our food choices because so many corporations, city governments, our nonprofits care about reducing their carbon emissions and we want to make sure food is a part of their climate action plans. 
That's amazing. So when you say you talk to high schools and um, colleges or do presentations for um, different businesses and such, is that something that you are invited into? Like, is there a, um, a desire to have you there and they're asking, or are you kind of saying like, hey, we want to chat or maybe both? Yeah, so we do send out a lot of emails and like tens of thousands of emails to teachers around the country. So there is that ask. We've also been around for a while now. So word of mouth has been huge for us. And there are very okay. specific types of classes that really like to bring us back over and over again. Um, health classes, environmental science classes, you know, and they just speak to the professional development networks that the teachers are a part of. So that's just given us a lot of openings. And we're, especially pre-pandemic, at a lot of different events, you know, social justice events, climate strike, mm. teacher events, veg fests, and so on. So I think that we've been fairly successful at getting the word out. That's amazing. I also didn't realize, I'm just now realizing embarrassingly how much I didn't know about this organization. Um, but you said 14 staff around the country. So it's not just California. Correct. Mm-hmm. So people all around the country are doing that for different areas. Is there a Midwest person or yes, uh-huh. there is? Oh, okay. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm already learning so much. It's been like five minutes. <laughs> I love the fact that it started with a college, you know, a recent college grad that was just seeing this need. It's like literally the definition of grassroots organizing, right? Yeah. She didn't know how to run a nonprofit. She didn't have funding <laughs> at the very beginning. And there's been huge learning curves, but yeah, I'm very proud of where we are today. <laughs> so Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. So what, I mean, obviously in the name, there's some explanation there of the things you're talking about, but like what kind of presentations or things are you doing for the community? Like, are there different ones or you kind of have a standard 101? Oh, we have so much information. We tailor every single presentation to our audiences. So oh, if wow. I'm speaking to students, in East Oakland that really care about immigrant rights. Like, of course, we have to talk about immigrant rights and who's actually working on the slaughterhouse floor, part of the cleanup crew, all of that. If I'm talking to a climate reality group, 350.org, and obviously there'd be a lot more guides around climate change and environmental justice. So we have this huge library of slides, you know, touching on all these different topics, right? The pandemics, um, Mm. you know, COVID-19, um, you know, swine flu, all of that, that's been really popular because of, you know, this past year that we've had. Interesting. And, yeah. And we have all the standards that we can meet on our website. So if you are in uh, Chicago area, you could see that these are the Illinois standards that we are meeting. So when you say that that's increased because of COVID and mm-hmm. over the last year, you said, um, mm-hmm. you've seen an increase in people wanting to talk about the connection between factory farming and and pandemics and such? Yeah, I think so. There's, and we're just very motivated to talk about this because, you know, people have talked about how this is ultimately potentially a dress rehearsal for something that could happen again. And we're looking at, you know, zoonotic diseases and eating animals absolutely contributes to that. And we're talking about how we are deforesting, which means that the wild animals now don't, (laughs) are now much closer to our livestock. We've got a lot of concerns around keeping animals so close together and feeding them antibiotics so that they become resistant to them. So we're really creating this sort of like perfect environment for another potential pandemic. And 
I hope that through our outreach, people can start making that connection now right. so that hopefully the risk of those pandemics can be lessened in the future. That's really amazing that you are, I don't know the type of phrase, like going there, I guess, because I think there's been a lot of conversation that I've seen, you know, like in the vegan circles I follow or plant-based stuff um, about that connection, but I haven't seen anyone offering like presentations and resources on that in the same way. So that's amazing. Yeah. If anyone is listening who has an audience of, you know, it could be a church group, it could be a school, it, it could be any nonprofit, it could be your company's lunch. And like, we will come in and we will help you know, facilitate that conversation and we will bring our slides and we'll talk to you about what you want to make sure is covered and what will be interesting to folks. And I think a really key part of our work is that we just don't, we don't just like tell people all these terrible things to make them feel depressed. We really are all about inspiring and empowering our audiences. And we look at solutions at a broader systemic level with like the, you know, various <laughs> farm systems reform act, you know, the the resolutions at um, the city level, like we passed Green Monday in a bunch of cities to really connect again, lead to climate action plans. And also on an individual level, what can we be doing? What are the barriers that make it difficult to eat more plant-based? We talk yeah. about culture, we talk about meat masculinity, whatever it is that the audience you know, wants to talk about. And we don't, we understand that there are a lot of challenges and we want to make sure that we address them. So again, people feel empowered. And for me in all of my work, it's been incredibly impactful to you know, do something where I feel like I'm contributing to a broader movement where yeah. people feel like they're a part of something and can do something about it. So I want to go back a few things here. You mentioned a few policy things, and that is something that I am just starting to kind of learn more about. That is something I haven't been as um, proactive in learning about kind of like where our policies at in us or nationally with this type of stuff so you like rattled off a few things like green mondays and some sort of act can you talk a little bit more about those yeah the farm systems reform act is federal policy that was introduced by um, senator cory booker and elizabeth mm -hmm. i hope that eventually the green new deal will incorporate more around food and its connections to climate change um, and we have been working with you know several so several of our um, staff and student advocates are involved in the Sunrise Movement. Um, at a local level, we've been working on just legislation around eating more plant-based and connecting it to climate action plans. And we had an initiative called Green Monday, which was started in Hong Kong. And it's a good name in the sense that it really shows the environmental connection with the term Meatless Mondays, which you might be familiar with, which right. it's in a lot of cities. It's fantastic, but my only concern with some of the framing around it is the meat list sounds like you're taking something away from people. And as yes. much as possible, I wanna add things in. Um, we also work with an incredible organization called the Better Food Foundation and Farm Forward, and they work on default veg or greener by default, which is what they do with a lot of the companies. And they say, instead of the default being an omnivorous meal and the vegan has to order something special, right? Just yeah. make everything vegan, and then you can choose to get the omnivorous meal, right? And oh, so it's interesting. Just mm -hmm. What if what a switch in our frame of reference and how we see food in this country? Yeah, and if you want to chat with them, I'm happy to make a connection because it is really amazing when you think about the ways that 
defaults just sort of like a part of our lives, you know, like yeah. when you, many of us who have phones, right, and an iPhone, like the same ringer will have, will just ring. And there's an infinite number of ringers probably that you could have, but that's the one that we, we, we don't change it. So if we keep on making the default eating meat, then, you know, it, it's hard to change it. So if we just, <laughs> if we just flip the script. I think it, it could be a lot more accessible to folks. Yeah, I would love to be connected because that is, um, that is a really interesting framework. What I really love that you said is meatless Monday, that being taking something away. And that is so true because I've had a few people in my life who want to eat more plant-based and then, you know, message me and they wonder why they're so hungry because all they did was eat exactly the same, but take meat out. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, okay you need to replace it. Let's talk about options or how to fill you up in other ways. Um, so I really like that kind of reframing of the meatless Mondays too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What can we add in? And if there are people listening who are starting to eat more plant-based or just trying to change things up, I think it's really a shame that a lot of us just eat the same 10 meals over and over again, especially when we are very fortunate to go into a grocery store, many of us um, in the United States, and just see like this world of plenty. And perhaps there are, you will have the opportunity to read cookbooks or rent them from your library and just see the wealth of um, world cuisine that is very plant-based. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the Western diet really loves meat. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. And um, and also dairy products um, here in mm -hmm. the United States. I've been very sad, you know, another policy thing, right, is we used to have the food pyramid in the United States that specifically said to eat meat and to eat dairy. And that's what I thought I needed in order to be healthy. At least my plate now says protein. It doesn't specifically say meat. It's, mm -hmm. And then there's still that circle for dairy and cow's milk, which is just a shame because many people in the United States have trouble digesting cow's milk. <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm lactose intolerant. That was the domino beginning this whole vegan journey. Ah, yep. <laughs> it's, I mean, and I'm not alone in that. I know that, that, that initial like, Hmm, my body doesn't like this. I wonder why. <laughs> quickly add on if there was a more inclusive policy, right? If our schools or hospitals and our prisons weren't defaulting to the policy around my plate, what would that change? A lot. Mm -hmm. a lot so I have been throwing a lot of questions <laughs> to you about the organization but I want to hear about your journey and how you kind of got here so um maybe let's start with um how you became vegan yeah that's a really interesting question I think that I've always been a very empathetic person I had a little guinea pig when I was growing up and I just Me always appreciate really yeah <laughs> yeah I just appreciated her. She was, you know, an herbivore and there were people in my life that wanted to eat her or made fun of like, you know, having a relationship with an animal that was small. And I, I was eight years old and I just remember thinking, huh, <laughs> why aren't people trying to eat this guinea pig? Like how does culture and masculinity, I didn't have the words for it at the time, but now right. as I got older, I was like, why is this person saying this to me that they want to eat my guinea pig? Um, I didn't know that it was possible to, you know, eat something besides animal products because that was available to me at the time. But I met my first vegetarian when I was in seventh grade, just met my first vegetarian friend. I was like, oh, okay, I'll be vegetarian too. 
And it was the same when I was a senior in high school, I met my very first vegan friend. And just having that connection showed me that it was possible. And when I went to college, I just found a community there of people who cared about similar things. And that really helped me um, stay plant-based, stay vegan. Wow, that's really great. I love that you had, and that's so many people's stories, right? Is that you had somebody else there kind of as a model of what's possible. And that's why I think it's so fun to be able to talk about these things because then this conversation might be the thing for someone else that they go, oh, okay, yeah. You know, you just never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's really why um, at Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, we have the student advocates program because we understand that there are people who just haven't met <laughs> um, yeah. other vegans or people who are just like starting to make some of these connections or people who want to have community around it and yeah. just get to know. So, yeah. So when you initially went vegan, was there conversation or awareness for you about the connection to the environment? Because that was not the first thing on my radar. And I felt like really, um, I, I think I've talked about this in like every episode, but I went through the angry vegan stage, right? Where all of a sudden I felt like I had woken up and everything before that had been a lie. Um, so I had this phase of learning about the environment and all that stuff and just being like, wow, I didn't know how friggin' bad this was. Um, did you know that environmental connection right off the bat? I think that the environmental connection became stronger when I, I actually dropped out of high school and I went to a community college that's where I met my very first vegan friend. Okay. And yeah, I was involved. Shout out to Dean's Ecologies <laughs> Environmental <laughs> Studies program, I guess. But I, <laughs> I had a professor who was just honest about, um, you know, what it what we need to do on an individual level if we want to, you know, support <laughs> the environment to help support save the planet, quote unquote. So that that was just my introduction to it, and I worked with our student group working to institute a sustainable environment along the 37th parallel, super long name, but <laughs> that is how I first started working on institutional dining campaigns to bring more plant-based food to campuses. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I am curious how, I, maybe I'm just asking for advice, but I feel like there, there are um, this interesting subsect of environmentalists that see like that kind of ignore the connection between animals and are still, um, you know, avid meat eaters or consume dairy. Where, what do you think that disconnect is for someone who's like really passionate about the environment, but still doesn't see that connection? Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think that you're going to, when people ask this question, I feel like there's always like the standard answers around cognitive dissonance and people. Yeah. Yeah animals but eating others and all that a lot of people are just trying really hard to see if it's possible to eat animal products in a more environmentally sustainable way and theoretically it is possible like only with that one impact like animal welfare other things like there's still lots of concerns but I think that an argument can be made that it is possible and then we hold on to that example of something that is possible and say like okay then we don't need to call ourselves vegan labels I think are only helpful to you and there are certainly detriments I think to labels and being put inside of a box I get that in a student advocates program I think one of our um, interns recently said that 
you know, it's like gender and, and sexuality, like, you know, only label yourself something if it, it's actually helpful to you. So I understand hmm. that the benefit that I would say to calling myself vegan has been that I can, you know, go to a restaurant and I can clearly say this label and it's, it's something that is understood. My friends and family will, you know, shop according to that label. But I also know that it's a label that carries a lot of, unfortunately, negative connotations. Yeah, you know, can talk about some of those negative connotations and the reasons why they exist. Um, the vegan movement has, I think, in the past been really actively and it's just been racist in certain cases, sizes, sexist, and that's excluded a lot of people and made veganism seem like it's not inclusive. So so rejecting that label can kind of be a way to reject the um the bullshit within the movement really i'm right just the stereotypes yeah um i used to date somebody who was eating vegan but just didn't want to call themselves vegan because by not doing it they were able to just have more conversations where there wasn't like a guard up by the other person it didn't feel confrontational they didn't feel like they were being judged I can sit here sometimes and say, I am not judgmental, but people will not believe me, even yeah. though my yeah. conversation, my demeanor, you know, the way I stand will not, <laughs> is not saying that I'm confrontational, but just the, the name vegan, I think can be hard for folks. Yeah. There's something about that, that word and what has been kind of like happening culturally that definitely still puts people on edge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing you mentioned um, was, you know, kind of having that exploratory time in college. Did you go to college in California as well? Yeah, for undergrad, I went to UC Berkeley. Okay, so I was just thinking of the options that you had in California to kind of explore veganism. Did you have um, access to things that you felt like it was an easy transition? Yeah, I think so. UC Berkeley actually has a vegetarian and vegan co-op um, with it was student housing. So there oh, were wow. just two of us living all together and all the meals were by default vegetarian. That's <laughs> um, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so that was really a great introduction. I think I've been very fortunate now to, you know, yeah, a lot of restaurants. I, I've downloaded this app called A Billion. Have you heard of it? No, I have the app Happy Cow, but I what is it? A billion? Yeah, a billion lets you review meals at restaurants, and it oh. can be at um, non-vegan restaurants as well. What's really cool about a billion, though, the company is that they don't put any money like towards Facebook ads. They pay a dollar for every single review that you do, and they they do that because uh, and it's to be donated to a nonprofit. And they do that because they want the people who are actually using it to really help spread the word about it. And if you are at a Japanese restaurant and it's you know hard to get the vegan option, they will send that review back to the Japanese restaurant and say, hey, there are vegans eating here. It would be great if like you really highlighted like the avocado rolls or you know this this particular dish was really well received and you should have more of it. So it's a way of like showing that there's a lot of demand for vegan food. And it can also be for non-restaurant products like you could anything anytime you are at a grocery store and you try Miyoko's cheese or something like that that mm. is something that's reviewed and so you can share that <laughs> with it it's a it's a really cool network I think it's I think that the app is really well done it feels like Instagram it feels like um 
any other social media platform where you can interact with folks. Well, I'm definitely going to download that after we get off of this call. <laughs> I um, love learning these new things. That's the, the journey, right? Conscious to clueless and back around again. But I love that, you know, this is going to be like episode 89 or something on this podcast. And you just in the last 30 minutes have taught me so many things about veganism. <laughs> like that's the exciting part about talking to people I joke that like yeah I love doing this but really I'm just doing it because I love learning from people mm-hmm. yeah I agree <laughs> so how has your experience been if if you want to speak on this being um, a woman of color in the vegan movement kind of circling back to the stereotypes and the things we identified earlier and uh, how has that experience been for you I think that when I first graduated from college, I didn't know that there was a place for me really in the animal rights movement. But within the last few years, I think that the movement is striving to be more inclusive. And I became executive director um, in 2019. And I think that I've been very fortunate to work at FFAC in particular because there has been such a emphasis on those, again, like these interrelated oppressions. So I feel very fortunate now. I'd say that one thing that has made me feel most excited is the availability of more plant-based products. And in particular, Mm -hmm. I want to highlight our work with Green Monday in Hong Kong. They have um, Omnipork, and it's basically a substitute for pig pork. And it is plant-based. And I think that it's actually a very useful product to have because I haven't seen that in the United States and Chinese people, I am Chinese, use pig in like as a base for soups. So they'll use it in dumplings. It's just used all mm, over the place. Yeah, yeah. And here in the United States, we've had um, vegan burgers for a while now, but a yeah. burger is always like, sh- it's often like shaped like a burger and it can only ever be a burger. Whereas what I'm describing with pork, it's, it's used just in so many different dishes. So having a base product like Omni pork does enable more people. Um, and because I'm Chinese, I'm thinking of Chinese people, but there are other people yeah. who will be able to use this product and can eat, you know, traditional foods. <laughs> yeah, that I had a great conversation with somebody else on the podcast a few months ago about the idea of um, the importance, I guess, not the idea, the importance when you're working with communities of color and talking about veganism or being plant-based is not shoving all this different food as an example of what being plant-based can be, but actually just talking about the meals people are already making. I think you can, you know, that is important with anyone to show like, you don't have to change everything, Mm -hmm. cook what you already love and like change it a little bit. So when you are not working or as the executive director or have that cap on your head, um, what other stuff do you enjoy? How do you take care of yourself? This is kind of a, it can be a heavy movement to be in, right? Yeah, I honestly think that just existing in this world is kind of heavy. Um, Good I, I, I've actually been reflecting on this a lot because many people have asked me about my self-care and they're particularly concerned because I work in the animal rights movement and especially... Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular space and for our organization. But I think that mental health can be a struggle or has been a struggle um, for many years of my life as just somebody who is aware. When I've worked, you know, 
on the Navajo reservation where I saw like the effects of colonization and experienced rural poverty and um, just tried to be a teacher in a system that seemed to, to not fully support the students and, and Diné culture. I've, you know, worked um, as a suicide prevention counselor and worked with the climate, um, I'm sorry, the, as a crisis support counselor here in Alameda County. And oh, wow. so, and, you know, just being somebody who is aware and awake in Oakland and walking around Lake Merritt where we have a very large, large population of people who do not have housing. Um, I am just constantly aware that there is a lot of inequality in this world. I think that what has enabled me to keep on doing this work is I've, I, I don't believe in bubble baths and chocolate as, as traditional ways of doing self-care. Although if, if you do that, that's wonderful. But I try and <laughs> shift the narrative around the things that take up money or things that take up additional time and like these separate activities. I want to integrate um, quote unquote self-care into my life. So it's very purposeful that I live where I live so I can be near my family and have that support. It's very purposeful that I live in a place where I can go around for walks because I need to do that <laughs> in order to stay, I guess, sane <laughs> for lack of a better word. So yeah, and I also, Carly, since you had a guinea pig growing up, I still have a guinea pig to this day. <laughs> oh my gosh, do you really? What's its name? Um, her name is MC because she talks a lot. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I really like that. I also have been trying to work to reframe that idea of self-care as this like separate thing on your to-do list. And how do you integrate it more just into your everyday life? Like, what does that look like taking care of yourself all day long? Not just when you get home from work. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a tricky thing when you're trying to kind of go against the, the capitalist work world that we are all um, very, very intertwined in. Yeah, it's very challenging work. I mean, I'm really glad that you spoke to Ariennish. I think that yeah. as she's a fellow executive director and we have to think about, you know, sustaining our organizations while also holding our ideals. And, you know, we think about the nonprofit industrial complex and it's, it's difficult for us, I think, to reconcile all those things. And sometimes it feels like we're making compromises, but still trying to hold true to our values. And it's, it's a lot for us to be thinking about. It requires for me a lot of brain power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, I'm, I'm glad you said the thing about nonprofits too, because I actually think that this is a conversation that started with Ariane Ash, I believe. Um, but we started talking about the idea of nonprofits and I had been in a training for work, I work for a nonprofit. My full-time job is a nonprofit within the education sphere. And I've worked for nonprofits pretty much my whole working career after college. And I'd always thought of nonprofits as this different thing and, you know, big business as uh, the evil, but going to this workshop about uh, decolonizing nonprofits really blew my mind about mm -hmm. the similarities and the funding and the, yeah, it's just everything. It was really interesting and made me think about things in a way that I had never done in terms of nonprofits. 
Yeah. Was it put on by nonprofit AF? No, it was put on by the Minnesota, I'm in Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits. Hmm. Interesting. Is there anything that you want to share, you want people to know, or anything that I haven't given you space to talk about? Um, I think that it's really cool to know that you are in Minnesota because we will be expanding in, in the Midwest in particular. And I, and our current Chicago director is moving into um, being the director of the student advocates program, but she is somebody who definitely grew up on a farm and can relate to a lot of folks in the Midwest who are used to seeing the cornfields and um, having, it's, you know, just having that be a part of the reality, having, you know, your your income, your family's income based in this whole system that, you know, we've talked about being very problematic, but I'm very interested in growing our presence in, in the Midwest so that we can do more educational outreach and connect with people. And I think that people who, you know, care about their families and their livelihoods can still care about um, issues in our food system. So if there are folks that are interested in getting to know us can, whether it's presenting or maybe they are students and want to get involved in some of our advocacy programs and our training programs, um, they're welcome to reach out to us. Our website is ffacoalition.org. We also have a lot of community events um, on our website as well. That's amazing. You sparked another question in my mind, which always happens. When you said the Midwest thing, um, I've had a few people, you know, push back or ask questions about well, if you want, you know, factory farming of animals to go away, what about are these, all these farms, all these people who depend on that? And I know that there's more and more programs and resources popping up for people to actually just switch their farms and what they grow and what they harvest. Is that something you have resources on as well or presentations or anything? I, I get asked this question a lot and I really do care about, um, farmers, I don't see them as like a nemesis or anything like that, even though <laughs> I think it's sometimes painted that way. Um, right. I, I, and in fact, you know, when there are so many documentaries that have come out that really show that a lot of the farmers are just as upset with the current state of farming and how they're essentially like just these huge monopolies that, you know, whether it's the JBS, the Tysons and so on that have really controlled this and made it difficult for farmers to thrive I think that MFA has a really interesting transformation program. They just hmm. put out a video about a farmer um, shifting to growing mushrooms. There's always the example of Elmhurst Dairy, which was in New York, well, it's still in New York, but they are now um, just doing plant-based milks instead of cow's milk. And Oh, I, wow. I would love to talk to them. Yeah. And I recently had a really great call with somebody from Miyoko's who you might know of Miyoko's cheeses and they're looking for a farm, dairy farm here in California if they're interested in growing um, plants instead of having cows, they'll actually pay for that um, transition to happen. That's amazing. I had Miyoko's cream cheese on my bagel this morning. <laughs> great. <laughs> they're so good. It is really delicious. I feel very fortunate to live very close to Miyoko, Rancho Compassion, and just have this abundance of <laughs> her products out there. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'm really excited to hopefully keep connecting with you in the future. You are just a wealth of knowledge and um, 
you're just doing really lovely work. So I thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure, Carly. Thank you for caring about this and helping to spread the word. Oh, absolutely. Where can people get a hold of you? I know you just said the website. Did you want to share like your email or maybe an Instagram handle or anything? Uh, at ffacoalition.org is everything for us. So you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter, on Facebook, and feel free to look me up on LinkedIn as well. But our website is really the best way to get in touch. Perfect. I will put all of that in the show notes. And yeah, if you think of any uh, Midwest connections that you need me for, please <laughs> keep Thank me in you. mind. Yeah, we're going to be hiring very soon. So I'll send you the job description. <laughs> Fun. I want to look at it, or at least I'll know you may be some people in the area that I can pass it on to. Perfect. Thank you, Carly. Awesome. Um, well, thanks again for joining me. I really had a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> My pleasure. Bye, Carly. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed that episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If you want to help me get this into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media, and tag me. Whatever you can do really helps me out. If you're curious about what else I offer, head over to patreon.com slash consciouslycarly for yoga, for health tips, for behind-the-scenes podcast stuff coming out soon. There's so much stuff over there. It's really fun, and I would love to see you there. Until next time.